Take your Bibles, if you will, and open them to Esther. Let's return to our study of Esther. We're going we're gonna to move forward in this thing. We'll be through by uh, Easter, I think. Um, chapter 4. Chapter 4, the book of Esther. I'm going to read the whole thing, the whole chapter. You follow in your copies as we um, examine this portion of the story. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther that Mordecai, what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. When Mordecai told them to reply, and then, then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, nights, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. 
Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. Boy, this story is really getting good, isn't it? (laughs) In many ways, ladies and gentlemen, uh, chapter 4 is the apex of the entire story. Um, It describes a defining moment, a crisis, a crisis which forces a decision. Esther is brought to a fork in the road, and she must go to the right or to the left. If she goes to the right, she can't go to the left. And if she goes to the left, she can't go to the right. That's the very nature of a fork in a road. That's the very nature of a crisis. It's the very nature of a defining moment. And that's what chapter 4 is. This, um, This personal conflict between Mordecai and Haman has brought the entire Jewish nation into jeopardy. Up to this point, chapter 4, Esther pretends to be a pagan, um, and she hides behind her beauty. She, um, She follows the path of least resistance. Sound familiar? Um, But at this point, there is forced upon her a, a defining moment. She's outed. She um, is faced with a choice. After five years of hiding, hiding who she is, this crisis is going to force her to choose. Either identify with God's people or try to blend in with the Persian court by lying about who she is. It is very, it's very Peter-like, if you know what I mean. Peter in the New Testament, when uh, on the last night of Jesus' life, when they was brought into the courtyard and Peter's there, and and the people are saying, you were with him. Oh, no, not me, huh? Not me. Uh, You know, you were with him. Uh, Ah, you got got the wrong fellow. Uh, You know what? I think you were a part of his little apostolic band. Uh, 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 Ah, it's a case of mistaken identity. That's very similar to what Esther is facing. Do I, um, do I identify myself with God's people? Or do I try to, do I try to cover up that I even know him? Esther is being asked by her her uncle, Mordecai, to risk her life by going to the king unsummoned. 
She will literally break the law by voluntarily interrupting the king. The the normal protocol is that you would put in a request for an audience with the king, and then you would wait for his response with an invitation or or not an invitation. But this situation requires quicker action than that. Now, assuming for a moment that she even thinks, she even still thinks about God, God for Esther at this point is remote. He is, um, he is indifferent. He's absent. She has, um, no Bible verse that can, um, that can guide her, that she can, that she can quote to herself that will lead her through this very critical situation. The Bible has long since been forgotten. In in other words, she's very much like you and me. She couldn't see the the happy ending of the story from from the frightening middle of the story. And neither can we. And though our consequences may not be like Esther's in that they're life and death, gang, we find ourselves in situations frequently where we, where we must choose, we must choose to obey um, with the possibility of some very negative repercussions Or we can just disobey. How she chooses and how we choose is really based on what we believe. Gang, obedience and faith go hand in hand. They always do. Think of um, Noah. And... um, Noah being told to go build this boat out in the middle of a field because it's going to rain. It never had rain before. They'd never seen rain before. So why did he go obey that? Because he believed what God had said to him. Obedience and faith always go hand in hand. And conversely, disobedience is always a reflection of not believing. In this, uh, this story here, at first, Esther tries to beg off. She uh, explains that uh, she no longer is routinely um, with the king. <laughs> oh my. Apparently, five years into their marriage, the king's desire for her has somewhat cooled. But here are the reasons, she says, why I, I cannot obey. I mean, surely you understand my predicament. Why, I, why need I, I, I remind you of the laws of the land? There are legitimate reasons why I cannot obey what you're asking me to do. Surely you understand why I 
must disobey. Mordecai is undeterred. And he presses her. And before this conversation is over, now it's a conversation that has a go-between, Hathak, but it's a conversation between Esther and Mordecai with Hathak, you know, exchanging the. But before this conversation is over, Esther makes one of the one of the most dramatic statements in the entire Bible. And you, you read it. If I perish, I perish. Esther goes from I can't do that to I will do that even if it costs me my life. (laughs) That's quite a change, wouldn't you say? No, no, I can't do that. Okay, I will do that even if I die. Gang, I I don't know how long this conversation took. Uh, the text doesn't tell us how long, uh, over what time period this did take place in a couple hours, a couple of days, a couple of weeks. I, I, I don't know. And, and I, I, nor can I explain exactly what took place inside of Esther over the course of this conversation. Surely there's, there's, there's got to be some level of conviction about how she has spent the last five years of her life in utter compromise. Esther knows that she's been co-opted. She, she believes that, that her comfortable position in the palace was, was based on her beauty, her performance, her merit. Her whole identity was wrapped up in her stellar performance. Why, I, I'm the envy of the entire Persian Empire. I am where most people want to be. Gang, the, the text doesn't tell us what it is about Mordecai or what it is about what Mordecai said to her that brought on this great conviction and thus the transformation. Maybe, maybe she was awakened to the fact that she was being devoured already. She was being devoured by this life in the palace. Life inside the palace. Maybe it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Maybe she had dreamed about life in the palace, but when reality set in, it wasn't that. Or maybe she had, she had come to realize that the king in the Persian Empire only wanted to use her. And when they were done using her, they would throw her away just like they did Vashti before her. Maybe she had come to see that the happiness that she thought was surely going to be hers once she was on the inside of the palace, maybe, maybe it hadn't come. That is, the happiness hadn't come. Maybe she realized that she was more empty now than she was before she ever got into the palace. It's impossible, guys, to say what's going on inside of Esther. All we have is the result. 
And the result is a 180-degree change. I can't go. I will go even if I die. It's a radical change brought on by something. But guys, there is a hint in the text. It's in verse 14. Let me show it to you. Your translation, my translation, my translation reads like this. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And here it is. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, gang, I, I know you can't see this. Uh, this is what, why you pay me the big bucks. But um, in the Hebrew, that verb, you have not come, that verb is in the Hifil. I know you never heard of that before, but that means that this is a passive verb. And it would be more accurately and translated to read it something like this. You were not brought. Who knows whether you were not brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. Brought? Brought by whom? And there you get, ladies and gentlemen, the faintest whisper of the existence of God. The the slightest reminder of this unmentioned God. This, This tiny mention of the beauty of grace and where, where the memory of something faint is revived. Oh yeah. God. God in his love. God in his gospel. God in his Christ. God in his grace. You see, what Mordecai says to her in verse 14 is that you didn't get where you are, Esther, based on your own merit. You were brought. Esther, your beauty wasn't earned. It was given to you. You were brought. Oh, but Mordecai, I mean, you don't understand how hard it's been, uh, you know, and how hard I've worked. I mean, those beauty treatments were exhausting. And, 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 and keeping a, and maintaining a figure like this is just a full-time job. Yes, sister. But you must never forget that you are working with abilities and opportunities that were given to you. By the God who brought you into that palace. And now,
Esther's faced with a choice. Who do I belong to? Do I belong to them? Or do I belong to this God? You know, guys, I know what some of you might be thinking. Oh, I, I, I can't give my life to Christ. Why, that would risk my place in the palace. And, and my whole identity is rooted in my being in the palace. I, I, I can't obey God. Because to do that would cost me my job. It would cost me my boyfriend. It would cost me my whole sense of worth. The last five years of my life have been spent fitting in and, and covering up and, and, and compromising. Because isn't happiness really found in the palace? I don't know how it happened, ladies and gentlemen, for Esther. But at this point in the story, the compromised Esther becomes the giant killer Esther. And she says, if I perish, then I perish. Whatever the price, I am going to be faithful to this God of mine. You know, I don't know where I read this, but it's not my own observation. I can assure you that. I, I, I don't know who said this first, but somebody pointed out that Esther is called Queen Esther. 14 times in this book. You, you see it in chapter 5, verse 2. She's called Queen Esther. She is called Queen Esther 14 times in the book. 13 of those 14 times come after she says, If I perish, I perish. What the author of this book is trying to tell you is that once this point is, is has arrived, after it, this is a changed woman. Gang, character transformation is the work of God's Spirit. But it begins, listen to me, the character transformation begins once I give myself to Jesus Christ. Character transformation doesn't make me a child of God. But after I have become a child of God, by faith in Christ, my character begins to change. 
Now, this is one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis. I, I, it's in The Abolition of Man. But C.S. Lewis said, what we need are people with chests. Chests! We need people with chests! And once grace has swept over you, you're given a new chest. And things begin to change. Ladies and gentlemen, do you see that kind of character transformation taking place in you? If not, it's because your chest is hollow. Gang, it is, it is very unlikely that any of us will ever be in, a, in Esther's dire predicament where our lives are on the line. But all of us, all of us face defining moments in our lives, sometimes once a day. Certainly the, the most fundamental of those defining moments comes when I hear the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time, perhaps, and I am asked to respond. Certainly, one of the defining moments in life is when somebody tells me that I need a Savior, and then they ask me to respond to that Savior. I am asking you to respond. I am asking you to receive Christ Jesus the Lord as your Savior. Right now. Knowing that your sins have separated you from God and that the only Savior that exists is Christ Jesus, I'm asking you to respond to the free offer of the gospel right now. Perhaps you think, but Jimmy, I'm up here in the palace and I, and I compromised to get here. In fact, my whole life has just been one big old compromise. So it Esther's. And God restored her and used her. And folks, in this part of the story, Esther has to decide who she really is. So do you. She has to decide who does she, who does she really belong to. So do you. Is your Facebook 
persona who you really are? Is that who you are? Or am I a child of God? I can tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, after an initial commitment to Jesus Christ, you can count on a continuous sequence of defining moments throughout your life. Because it's this new creature in Christ that is faced almost daily with choices to either identify myself with this Savior of mine by obedience to His Word or to live as a pagan at that particular moment. Really, tell me, which person are you? Are, are, you the, are you the person posted on your Facebook page? Or, or are you a child of God by sovereign grace? How long can you live like a pagan before you finally realize that you are one? I don't know. But one day, if, if you're a Christian, you will wake up and realize that the world just wants to use you. And what you thought was going to be an exciting life is not. And you're all used up. And, and maybe it's some, time of, some type of crisis that has gotten your attention. I was received an email from a friend this week who asked us to pray for a friend of his who he had known for years and the man was in his low 50s. And um, my friend had continued to try and introduce him to the Savior and he had very politely, you know, basically said, put me down for no interest. Last week, he uh, received a report that he has colon cancer. Not my friend, but the... Maybe it's that. Maybe it's marital issues. I, I don't know. Maybe it's some kind of defining crisis has gotten your attention. Your own private defining moment. Will I sleep with him? Should I contact my high school sweetheart? Should I steal this? And if you choose wrongly, your whole life begins to spin off in another ill-fated direction. Conversely, if you choose to obey, even like Esther, somewhat reluctantly, you put yourself on a path of healing and hope.
But that all begins when you first embrace the Savior. Your call. Our Father, I do pray that by the power of the Holy Ghost that you would open eyes to see that what we, who we belong to is a God of all glory and grace. A God who has made a way to save somebody as wicked as I am. And for those, O oh God, that you have brought here for the, who have never yet embraced the Savior, who are not yet redeemed. Would you cause them to see that there is, um, there is a life outside of the palace. A life that is not free from difficulty, but a life that, is, that has a trajectory to it that's headed in the right direction. Father, would you bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ today? Would you... Do that thing that only you can do. There's no preacher. There's no anthem. There's no invitation. There's, there's no nothing that can change the heart of a man or a woman. Would you change a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh today? Would you do that, Father? And then... then we might be able to see, as we see in Esther, a life that heads off into an entirely different direction. Do that, Father, for your own glory, for the kingdom's sake, and for the pleasure of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name.